I realized that there was a lot more to be done and a lot more to be said uh, with sort of the the narrative arc of a of a soldier's of a soldier's experience. And so I went back and I wrote Bravo Company and I did that by following these men. I followed them from their training and workup to their deployment in Afghanistan. But I don't think that there's a lot of books that then trace that arc back to the United States when people come home. An excerpt from today's guest, who follows a combat-hardened 82nd Airborne Division company in which half of its paratroopers earn the Purple Heart. Marine combat veteran and author Ben Kessling is here, and I'll speak with him right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Born of the Spear. Welcome back. And before we get into the show, remember to click that follow button on the podcast to be notified of our future fantastic guests like the author we're speaking with today. And thank you. Today's guest is a Midwest correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, where he focuses on domestic security and veterans issues. He holds a Master of Divinity degree from Harvard Divinity School and previously served as a Marine Corps infantry officer in Iraq and Afghanistan. His book is called Bravo Company an Afghan deployment, and its aftermath. And author Ben Kessling joins us now. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. It's a real honor, sir. You wrote this book in a different way, using the language of the infantry soldier. Why did you take that approach? Well, I, I used the uh, I used the infantry the infantryman's language uh, in a number of ways, I think, and um, both both in the very literal sense um, of using uh, using a lot of uh, of, of profanity, which is uh, the common patois of the of the infantry uh, of the infantry soldier, um, but also I, I used sort of the um, the language uh, that goes through uh, infantrymen. And now infantry, inf- all infantry soldiers, so women as well. But uh, when I wrote this story, it was it was all men in the infantry. But I use the language of of things that go through their minds. So um, I use I, I talk about sort of the thoughts that happen, the thoughts that happen in a moment's passing time, right? Like uh, mm. anybody who's been anybody who's been in the in the military or um, has been in a combat zone knows how much can be packed into um, a fleeting moment, a, a blink of an eye. And uh, I think that when you say using the infantryman's language, um, I think that that language is, is something that uh, allows, um, allows us to better understand and unpack what it's like to have so much happen in, in a split second of time in combat. Uh, and then also the infantryman's language is that is that profanity, which is um, is stock and trade. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I don't. But I don't use it. I don't use it in a way to be. Um, I, I say I don't. I don't use it in a way to be like pornographic or to get cheap thrills out of using that kind of language or talking about the violence that happens in a combat zone. I use it um, to be as stark and um, to as stark and to present it as objective a picture of what it's like to to deploy um, and to, to go through the, the so many things that you go through and see the horrible things, the hilarious things, um, the awful things, the profound things. So anyway, that's why I use, that's why I use the language that I used. That makes sense. I, I was remembering, I wrote a book uh, several years ago about the mafia in Philadelphia and I was working with a FBI agent. I had optioned, optioned his story. And after the first draft, we'd work closely together. 
And he said, you know, I love it, Rob, but there's just not enough cussing in it. And it's not doesn't feel real because it has to be the language of the street. And so right. I had but, to add it in, you know, it, it wasn't my forte. <laughs> um, I, and I actually I actually excised some of the uh, some of the cursing in the book, because at a certain point you're like, can, gosh, can uh, can guys on deployment really uh, say the F word that much? You're like, well, yeah, and more. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I find mm-hmm. very, very many ways to use it. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's important to be able to use that, use that masterfully without, without, um, sort of uh, overdoing it and beating people over the head with it, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, I actually put a little, um, paragraph at the beginning of the book that my use of it reflected the language of the street right? and it was not gratuitous, but that's how they spoke and in south philadelphia (laughs) right right yeah and and you know for bravo company for my book um again like i'm not uh it's not a it's not an exercise in 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 profanity and coarseness it's just uh sort of the um the way you know the way it is uh the way people talk and the way people think yeah absolutely now you follow this company like uh ambrose did with easy company um through the war but you also follow them back into civilian life and their struggles. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I want to take you back to, I, I met Bravo company in 2019. I, I write, uh, I write at the department of veterans affairs and the Pentagon for, for the wall street journal. And I met them when I was doing a story about a reunion they had, and they had a reunion 10 years after they got back from the deployment that I talk about in the book. So I met them because they got back from this from from their deployment, and for ten years they um, they had uh, a couple suicides in the company, um, and they had some suicidal ideations, and some some men were having trouble uh, adjusting back to the back mm-hmm. to life in the civilian world, and so they had the the VA and a and a veteran service organization brought these men together for a reunion, and uh, I covered that reunion for the paper. And then after, after writing about the reunion and not really delving a whole lot into their deployment, um, I realized that there was a lot more to be done and a lot more to be said uh, with sort of the the narrative arc of a of a soldier's of a soldier's experience. And so I went back and I wrote Bravo Company, and I did that by following these men. Again, they were all men at the time because it was 2009. I followed them from their training and workup to their deployment in Afghanistan. And, you know, there's there's lots of memoir, there's lots of books written about uh, combat experiences and what happens overseas. But I don't think that there's a lot of books that then trace that arc back to, uh, back to the United States when people come home. Uh, because uh, soldiering for the vast majority of people is not the majority of their life, right? Soldiering right. is... St- an extraordinary experience that they experience as young men and now young women. And then they come home and they're citizen soldiers and they, and they, they transition back into living a life out of uniform. And I wanted to capture that experience. And so I followed them when they came home and the 10 years of, of reckoning with that deployment that they had after returning home. And I think it's something that gives its points um, and, uh, and it makes it uh, something that civilians can read and understand what it's like to be a soldier, to be deployed in a combat zone. And I think it can also help soldiers who have been there better understand their own experience and what it, that, that the experience they're having coming home is, is something that's, 
Uh, it's unique in their own way, but it's part of a larger pattern. And uh, everyone who deploys and comes home feels feels and goes through um, similar experiences. And I wanted to capture that with the book. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next time, we learn the story of Philadelphia's only Vietnam War Medal of Honor recipient, Michael Crescens, with author Kevin Ferris. He was credited, obviously, not only with saving people's lives. Um, Bill Stafford says he wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for Michael. And we called it No Greater Love based on the Bible verse, um, No Greater Love Hath Anyone Than to Lay Down Their Life for Their Friends. And here was someone who was willing to do that. Another reason to click that follow button to be notified when the episode releases. And before we return to the conversation, if you're enjoying the story of an airborne company adjusting back to civilian life, check out our earlier program with wounded combat veteran Benjamin Sledge and his book, where cowards go to die. That's the toughest part about readjusting into, you know, civilian society. It's like one minute you're overseas, everybody's trying to kill you. And then like the next you're home and everybody's so aloof because these wars have been going on forever. They're like, oh my gosh, did you hear it's pumpkin spice latte season? And you're like, cool. It's show 169 from season two and you'll easily find it in our past episodes. How are the men doing now? 10 years on well uh since the reunion that they had called operation resiliency um they've had uh they've had zero suicides um thank god that's great thank god um and they've reconnected they're 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 talking <laughs> they're talking to each other they're being a support network and what um what was so unique about their reunion was a lot of times the when you get out uh, you can become a free-floating particle in uh, in the world, right? You you are unmoored from your team, unmoored from the uh, the military. You become a civilian, kind of uh, going through some of the going through working through some of these things on your own. And what this reunion that these men went to sought to do was to remind them that they are part of a team, and they that and the reunion operation resiliency it brought the entire company back together um, wow. so that you would have, you could have men who had congruent experiences who, you know, the person to your left and the right were again on your left and right a decade down the road. And the idea was that by having the people who were there with you, again, being there with you, those strong arms around you, um, the realization that, that uh, they are their brother's keepers, um, could uh, could do something that no amount no amount of money no amount of therapy no amount of anything that the VA or uh, or any service organization can throw at somebody can replace having your brothers uh, or now this you know sisters in arms um, being there talking to you providing you that that support. That's so good to hear. How has the reaction been from the readers in the in the community? Um, I've so the the as we're talking, the book has been out for um, for a couple weeks now, and mm-hmm. um, it's I've gotten I've gotten a lot of of good feedback from folks. Um, I'm I'm very happy to hear from military folks that because um, military folks will read military books and be. Um, quite critical uh oh yeah (laughs) um and i think that the the feedback that i'm getting is that the 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 goals that i sought to achieve in writing this i think that they have come through and 
um, you know, when you write, when you write a book, it goes out there into the world and you never know what's going to happen. And, uh, I'm, you know, as at, at this point, I'm happy to see that it's being sort of spread word of mouth, um, by people who say, Hey, this is worth reading. And, um, and I, that means, that means a lot. Um, when, when you have people recommending it to other people. And I, I really do think that there's something in here for so many people. There's something in here for family members. There's something in here for, um, civilians, for lawmakers, uh, for the people who send men and women into war, um, to read a story of, 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 of a unit going to combat and coming home and realizing that there's, you know, there's this, there's this incredible debt that we incur, um, as, as troops. And there's this incredible, um, debt that we, that we owe to troops, uh, when we send them to war, it's not just, um, you know, right. paychecks for a couple of years and then they're out. No, like there's, there's something, there's something there for, um, for the rest of their lives that we have to, that we have to recognize and accept and, uh, and, and own up to as a society. Now, not only are you an author, but, uh, to close, I'd like to uh, ask you about your experience being on Jeopardy as a two-day champion. I thought that would be fun to close with. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and so uh, all my, my resume as, you know, going to graduate school, being a, uh, you know, I'm a Marine Corps infantry officer myself. I was in for six years, all these deployments, and everybody wants to know about Jeopardy. Uh, sure. Yeah, I was... Uh, I got to. I was on during the during the Alex Trebek years, and uh, I I lost on my third um, the third game I played because I didn't answer a daily double in the form of a question. It was just a horrible horrible way to go out, you know. But it that 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 Jeopardy um, you know experience and and it, I think that informs it informs other things I do. It informs like writing this book because um, you know Jeopardy. The, the folks at Jeopardy make a big point to say this is not, you know, this is not trivia. This is a knowledge game. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, okay, gotcha. Uh, but like, yeah, it's like, um, in order to be, in order to be good at at something like Jeopardy, you have to be curious about a whole bunch of things and want to ask questions about them and and also get things right. And I think that that informs stuff like my reporting and writing the book Bravo Company. I wanted to dig a little deeper to get to get uh, to a deeper meaning of things. And I wanted to get it right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Do you remember what uh, I know you didn't ask it as a question, but do you remember the answer that you missed out on? Oh, yes. Uh, the answer was well, the answer should have been what is in situ? And I got it right. But hey, you know, you got it. You got to follow the rules. That's uh, yep. you learn that you learned that in the Marine Corps. You learned that in the Army and that got it. You learn it on Jeopardy. Yeah, I'm, it's funny. I, I watch the show, and and I'm happy if I get one answer entire show. I'm, <laughs> you know, I feel like a winner. So uh, that you're a two day champion is is amazing, thank as well you. as the I book. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Absolutely, the book is called Bravo Company: An Afghan Deployment and Its Aftermath. Ben, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. Next time, we learn the story of Philadelphia's only Vietnam War Medal of Honor recipient, Michael Crescens, with author Kevin Ferris. He was credited, obviously, not only with saving people's lives. Um, Bill Stafford says he wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for Michael. And we called it No Greater Love based on the Bible verse, um, No Greater Love Hath 
anyone and to lay down their life for their friends. And here was someone who was willing to do that. Another reason to click that follow button to be notified when the episode releases. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. And be sure to check out our Point of the Spear YouTube channel with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore. I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spear. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.